of the Word teaching. That whether it be heard by CD, driving down the road, live stream, however it's heard, however it's watched. Those that are here, let the blood of Jesus just come over this. Lord, I ask you that your Holy Spirit would fill and brood over this time in the Word. And Father, that the anointing and the glory would be so thick and strong that people by the Holy Spirit would be captivated during this time. That as the Bible says, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear, that truly you would anoint our eyes and ears to be able to have eyes and ears of the Spirit. And that we would have good, fertile soil of hearts and minds. And that your word, Lord, that you would speak through me. That even things that wasn't in my mind or the notes, that Holy Spirit, whatever you want to say, however you want to say it, Oh, that you would speak through me and let your words go out like living seeds of truth that's sown in a good fertile soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, and caused because the Holy Spirit's anointing on the Word, that those seeds of truth, Lord, will take root in people's lives. It won't be something that the enemy is able to steal. It won't be something that they forget. But it will be something that takes root in them and grows and produces a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And Lord, we bind away the enemy's influence, but Lord, we bless this time in the Word to be fruitful. And Lord, I just speak that during this time, I just feel led to declare this, but your kingdom come and your will is done now. In Jesus' name, we release the kingdom through the, through the Word of God tonight, the preaching and teaching of the Word. And Lord, let everything be accomplished through this time that is your will to be done. We bless you, Lord, and we thank you for your Word. We thank you that you've given us a Word to know your ways and to, to get to know you better and how to live for you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. If it's okay, I'm going to be, this is going to be a lot different than usual, so just get comfortable. Make yourself at home. I want to just do something totally different. Really, the service is totally different. I just want to say the worship band you guys did wonderful. I mean, Anytime you're out of your element and it's something different, you know, but you guys did fantastic. I just want to thank you for that. So, anyway, let me, I'm going to open this by reading the scripture and just kind of going through it. But there's something that those that have been with me a little while, you, you know what I'm talking about. But I'm telling you that tonight, remember this. You might as well write this down and take it to the bank. As a matter of fact... You may want to have something to write because there's going to be a few things that isn't in the notes I want you to be able to document. But Also, people are grabbing some pens or whatever. That's fine. I'll wait. But let me tell you, tonight marks a change of paradigm. Uh, I'll explain that here in a moment. But the Holy Spirit told me that. Tonight marks a paradigm change for us. Now, what paradigm is, it's, it's actually... Not the easiest word in the world to explain, but I'm going to do my best. But a paradigm is like a set of rules and the way things have been. It's something that is established. It's the way something has been. When you say that you're having a paradigm change, it's like everything begins to change that was once was a certain way, but now it's a different way. It's, it's different methods. It's, it's a different set of rules and circumstances. It's just this big change. And when I say a paradigm change, I'm telling you that tonight, if you want to write that down or whatever, tonight marks the beginning of a paradigm change. And 
there's some things that I'm going to share tonight prophetically what God's laid on my heart. I'm going to share some things that some of you have shared with me that I've prayed about and gotten some revelation on. But tonight will be significant in that area, I'm telling you. The presence of the Lord is thick. I don't know if you guys feel it out there, but right here it's strong. Let me read Matthew 21. Send your notes. Starting with verse 12, it says, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches. Overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Is it okay that I break this down a little bit? We all want revival and we pray for revival. We all want revival and we pray for revival. But really, one of the things that revival is, is just simply the Lord showing up. It's the Lord visiting his people. And when you see Jesus entering the temple, this, in many ways, you could say that this is a legitimate scripture to, des- to describe revival. Jesus entered his house. He came in. When Jesus comes in the way of revival, it, he will always overthrow the sin that's in the camp. That's number one. When revival breaks out, all of a sudden, things start popping up and being exposed and dealt with. That was hidden. Maybe there was an affair going on in the church and all of a sudden it's exposed. There was sister so-and-so that always caused trouble. All of a sudden she's manifesting a demon. She's on the floor. You know, people say they want revival. Really? Really? I'm not joking. These, These things will happen in places. When Jesus shows up, all of a sudden all this hidden sin and this junk in people's lives is going to come out. And what people a lot of times don't understand as a Western Gentile mentality about this overturning the table. See, under the law of Moses, God wanted everybody to be able to get their sin taken care of. And he knew that not everybody had a lot of wealth. And so one of the things he did was, he said, you know what? I want everybody to be able to purchase an animal to take and shed blood for their sin. I want everybody to be able to have this opportunity. And so he allowed people to be able to buy doves and use those. Because they were so inexpensive. But you know what the money changers were doing? They were ripping people off. People were coming into God's house to be able to buy these doves. And they're, they're charging them this exorbitant price. Think about it for a minute. Why did this anger the Lord so much? Because these money changers were actually preventing people from being able to get their sin dealt with. Oh, you hear what I'm saying? Does this make sense? And how many times for the sake of money are people getting ripped off in the house of God and hindered? And I'm not saying this about anybody, but you know, sometimes I kind of just get grieved within myself when I see such exorbitant prices on things. It's like, you know, people need to be able to afford this. I mean, how's somebody going to afford that? Paying like $500 for something, you know, and it's like, But God will deal with these things. And when Jesus came in, He overturned tables. He dealt with the money changers. He dealt with the sin that was in the camp. Verse 13, it's written, He said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer. A house of what? He didn't say a house of evangelism. He didn't say a house of discipleship, even though we need to be discipling people and we definitely need to be winning souls. He made a point that His house would be called a house of prayer. But he said, you're making it a den of robbers or thieves. People are coming in that are desperate. They don't have the money to be able to take a large bull 
or even a goat or something. They're, they're going there to get these doves so that they can atone for their sin. And they're ripping them off. They're making it difficult for them to be able to do that. And it, it ticked off the Lord. He said, you're making it a den of thieves. Verse 14, after Jesus cleaned house. Everybody say, after. After. After he cleaned house. Let's look at verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. After the Lord cleans house, then you're going to start seeing the miracles, signs and wonders and the deliverances and the power of God and all the things we want to see. Verse 15, But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. And Jesus said, Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, You, Lord, have called forth your praise or perfected your praise. Let me go back to this. So we see a pattern of Jesus coming into the house. That's revival. Then you see Him cleaning the house. And that ticked off people. It always will. He comes in, He cleans house. People got upset about it. Then because He cleaned house, you see healings and miracles, signs and wonders break out. And then... What do you see next? You see the Pharisees rise up and protest. This is more prophetic than... I'm telling you, you guys really need to take this to heart because there's been several words about the coming attack with the religious spirit. You need to remember I said that. You need to take note of that in your own heart. But as soon as revival started breaking out, God's cleaning house, signs and wonders and miracles break out, the religious crowd rose up in protest and they began to come against Jesus. Let me tell you about the religious crowd. The religious crowd, they know the Word of God. The Pharisees knew the Word of God of their day. They knew it better than probably any of us in this room, and that's the truth. They really did. From the time they were little children, they were told stories and they were required to memorize large portions of Scripture. These guys had very large portions of Scripture memorized. They studied it in the original Hebrew. They knew the Word of God. But how many knows you can be a scholar, you can be a brilliant man, and you can know the Word, and you can totally miss the move of God and be an enemy of Jesus? They were Jesus' greatest enemy. They hated Him more than anybody else hated Him. And they made sure that they pursued His death. And they were His greatest enemy. Yet they probably knew the Word of God better than anybody else in that time. They knew the Word of God better than the average Jewish person did. But the average Jewish person was not really against Jesus that much by and large. They certainly knew the Word of God better than the Canaanite woman or the Roman centurion or the Greeks that sought out Jesus. Just because I believe we need to know the Word, but just because somebody knows the Word does not mean that they have the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God in their life. And this is where, I, I don't have the scripture in front of me, but I preached a couple sermons on a religious spirit. And I talked about in Corinthians, it says that 
it's the spirit of the law or the letter of the law. The letter kills. And these religious people, they mean well and they'll quote the Bible. But they are actually quoting the Bible in a way that brings forth death. They actually don't have... Let me reword what I'm going to say. They actually have an evil spirit on them. And they think that that is the Holy Ghost. But it's not. It's a, it's a different spirit on them. And they're listening to that thing. And from the influence of that religious spirit, when they read the Bible, they're being influenced by that religious spirit. They're not being influenced by the Holy Spirit. They're being influenced by an evil spirit. And so consequently, they're walking in spiritual death. And they don't even know it. And they are now operating out of a structure of death in their life and they're trying to kill every move of God that they can. So whenever the Holy Spirit begins to move and miracle signs and wonders break out, you see the children shouting and, and praising and they will come in a way to try to stifle what's going on. Do you see what they did? This is a great passage really in dealing with this subject I'm talking about because as soon as Jesus started moving in power, the Pharisees rose up, I mean immediately. It's like a viper coming up out of the grass. They just rose up in protest. And as soon as Jesus started moving in power, here they come. What do you think you're doing? Who do you think you are? Coming in here, turning over tables. Who do you think you are healing the sick? And what about these over here praising you? Why don't you put a stop to this right now? They want to kill it. Right there. So the religious crowd has a problem with several things. One of the things they have a problem with is they have, they have a major problem with the Holy Spirit's power. They do not like the anointing. They have a major problem with... See, let me explain this. The Antichrist spirit, Jesus said... Well, Jesus was the Christ, but Christ means the holy and anointed one of God. So an antichrist spirit is an anti-anointing spirit. Did everybody see that? It's against the anointing. And these religious people have that on them. And they're against, they're opposed to the anointing. But not only will they be opposed to the anointing, but they will definitely be opposed to and they hate freedom in worship. Religious people that have a religious spirit on them, as soon as somebody starts dancing, singing loud or shouting or anything like that, they're really expressing themselves like these little children. You see it right here. Just like these little children, they're shouting out. As soon as they start expressing true praise, uninhibited, man, they hate it. It just it annoys them. And they'll sit there in a church service and they just they're just gritting their teeth. They can't stand it. Because what's on them can't stand it. If they would discern and do what first John four one says and distinguish between discern between the spirits and understand that what they got is not the Holy Ghost on them, it's something else. They cannot stand that. And they can't stand the moving of the Holy Spirit through the gifts. And they'll always have a major problem with tongues. That's a big one. Because, let me, let me explain, why is tongues such a controversial thing? Because the reason why it's controversial is because the devil don't like it. That's why it's controversial. Now, why does the devil not like tongues? Because, if you think about it, when somebody is baptized in the Holy Ghost, there's several things that happens to them. Number one, they're filled up. Number two, they're clothed with power. 
Now that becomes a major threat to the devil right there, their clover power. Number three, it is actually them beginning to enter into the supernatural spiritual realm of Christ. See, before they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, they came down and they accepted Christ as their Savior, and the Holy Spirit lives inside them, and they're washed in the blood. But as soon as they get clothed with power and begin to operate in the supernatural by speaking in tongues, they are actually beginning to move into the supernatural realm of Christ. And as they're doing that, the Bible calls the gifts of the Spirit, in the book of Hebrews, it calls the gifts the power, the powers of the age to come. They're beginning to tap into the powers of the age to come. And Satan hates and he is threatened by that supernatural power of Christ. He's not threatened by somebody that's just born again. He's threatened by somebody that's anointed. Amen. The Bible says how God anointed. Now, think about Jesus' life and ministry. You know, here he was going along, obviously the Son of God, but he was incognito. It's somebody's favorite word. He was incognito. But whenever he got around the age of 30, okay, he began, what it was to say, he went down and he got baptized in the River Jordan. And the, what happened? The Holy Spirit came upon him. See, when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power. The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus. And it says that he was then led out into the wilderness to be tested for 40 days. In that testing time, he was persecuted, well, attacked by the devil. I should say it that way. He was attacked by the devil. But it says he came back out of that time in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now listen to what Acts 10.38, how did it describe Jesus? It says how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power, and He went around doing good, all healing all oppressed of the devil. What marked Jesus' life was the anointing. So what I'm trying to say is this, once you get anointed, you then become a real threat to the enemy. And that religious spirit will rise up and protest. So is it okay I get just a little bit prophetic with you guys? Yes. So see, here's the thing, if you can catch this. Jesus had to be tested for 40 days before he really broke into his ministry. When you look at the life of Moses, God had to take Moses in the backside of the desert for 40 years to get Egypt out of him. He took Moses out of Egypt, but he had to get Egypt out of Moses. And after he was done really getting Egypt out of Moses, then he could actually use it. The children of Israel had to roam... 40 years in the desert until all of Egypt died in them. And then they could take the promised land. Elijah had his Mount Carmel experience, but after that, he had to go 40 days through the wilderness until God could speak to him at Mount Horeb in a still small voice because he was coming under such an attack from a Jezebel spirit during his day. 40 means testing. But see, God will put you through a season of testing, but I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing here, I'm telling you that as far as this ministry, there's been a season. But it's like I see, spiritually speaking, I see like a gravestone being scooted over. And I see resurrection power about to come up. See, the Bible says that God will put you through these testing times like that. But see, what it is, it's, to, it's so that you're crucified with Christ. It's all, that's the whole goal. You go through the wilderness so that all of Egypt will get out of you so that you're crucified with Christ. 
Jesus said, unless a kernel of wheat fall to the ground and die, then if it will die, then it will begin to bear more seed, but it's got to die. So Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ, it's not I who live, but Christ through me. So the Lord will put you through those times, but what I see is I was praying today, I was in prayer, and I saw, the Lord gave me a vision, I saw this huge stone, and it just rolled open, and it was like something rising up, kind of raising from the dead, if you will, but it was like rising up in resurrection power. And I know that this paradigm shift, right here where we're at, and I, and I need to say this because I, I thought to myself, I didn't want to share a lot of this stuff tonight. And then I felt like the Lord wanted me to, but let me just say this. People will hear this one day that will be going through some things in life, and this will encourage them even though it's not their story. It's somebody else's story. And there's been many times that I have been so encouraged by somebody that would tell their story. You know, and so let me just go through some things that's been going on. But you know, I was the other day. We went on. We went down to Alabama to the ramp. Came back, Sandy and I. We, the church went on a seven-day fast. At the end of the fast, I was coming down the stairs, and all of a sudden, I mean, it was just real fast. But I had this vision. I saw this strong wind blowing, and there was an angel there. And the Lord spoke to me that winds of change are blowing. That's all He said. And I and I didn't. I didn't tell anybody. Sometimes I get stuff like that, but I don't share it unless the Lord tells me to share it. So Brianna was in prayer and came to me. She said, I wanted to tell you something. The Lord spoke to me. I don't remember all the details now. But anyway, she said that the Lord showed her like winds of change beginning to blow. Strong winds. And I'm like, well, it's interesting you say that. Because I had this vision. I didn't tell. We didn't tell anybody. And then Tuesday night... You know, Brother Ed had had that experience where he was praying by building, and all of a sudden this violent wind hit, and these leaves started blowing it, and the Lord spoke to him that winds of change were blowing. And then he shared that here, and there was more about winds of change. But see, it gets to a place to where the Lord, and let me say this too, somebody had a dream they shared with me, and in the dream, don't ever... Just ignore your dreams because they really could be from the Lord. Not always, but but sometimes they're definitely from the Lord. This dream was from the Lord. In the dream, there was coffins, but there was also these test tubes that were being mixed, and then it was being tested. And whenever I was in prayer, the Lord spoke to me, and He showed me that the coffins represented every everything being brought to a place of death. And the test tubes represented a testing. It's like the 40, the 40 number. Okay, 40 years, 40 days of people going through testing. But after everything is dead that needs to be dead, and you pass the test, you come out. You come out of the wilderness. And you begin to move into the spiritual promised land that God has for you. And I wanted to encourage people tonight. I, I'm, I don't share a lot of stuff like that. But tonight I wanted to share it because I wanted to encourage you and I wanted to encourage other people. You know, whenever we first came here, actually years ago I, I lived in East Texas and I was coming here. And the Lord had me come and He wanted me to begin to do basically just street ministry. And that's all I was doing by myself. And I was going out to different places. I would go to um, Deep Ellum, which back then was a busy place. And... Um, I went to other places. I went to 
probably some not very safe places, but I felt led to go and the Lord was with me. And um, I, I came back through Rockwall and I always had a heart for Rockwall. And interestingly enough, whenever I became a Christian, truly a Christian, back in 95, it was shortly after that I moved here. And at the time, I had no idea what was going to happen in my life. But the, the pastor that I was under at the time, believe it or not, he was a Baptist pastor. That's a miracle that I came out of the Baptist. <laughs> but anyway, he water baptized me. Listen, he water baptized me in Lake Ray Hubbard, which is obviously the lake here in Rockwall. And I had no idea God would ever bring me here. But I remember I, came, I used to come through Rockwall. I know this may surprise some people, but I used to stop off at that Starbucks there. <laughs> anyway, let's not get off on that. So I used to stop there and I would try to witness to people. And uh, this was kind of late, late for Starbucks people anyway. I mean, it wasn't real late, but I used to go by there and I would try to talk to people. And I remember, I'll never forget this young lady I talked to. And I've shared this with you guys, but you know, she was there and was show. I think she was showing somebody a new tattoo she had gotten or something. And and I just used the opportunity to witness. And what she told me was, she said, well, I appreciate what you're saying, but she said, you know, she said, all the Christians that I know, and she was talking about this area, she said, all the Christians that I know, she said, they cuss more than I do. She said, they drink more than I do. They sleep around more than I do. And she said that if they're going to heaven, she said, then I'm really going to heaven. And so I began to really have a burden for this area. And I found out back then, the Holy Spirit led me to this. I had no idea. But I kept feeling drawn, I mean strongly drawn to Steve Hill. I was like, what in the world? Because I mean, I hadn't been, since he left Brownsville, I hadn't had anything, contact or anything. And um, I found out he was planting a church, but it was very, very low key. I mean, they weren't advertising it at all. And I went there, and there was only a handful of people back then. I mean, there was maybe his staff and a few others. And I just got plugged in there, and, got, and God allowed me to be in leadership. And, and Pastor Steve and I spent some time. I was able to spend some time with him. It was a wonderful time in my life. I was there for a couple of years. But anyway, during that time, I, that burden for souls, just, that just stayed stoked in me. You know, I mean, if you're around Steve Hill, you're going to have a burden for souls. And so, I mean, just stay stoked. I mean, I was just, just revival fire was burning. And um, I kept doing a lot of evangelism. And God is always, everywhere I've ever gone, God's always used me with younger people. When I was an associate pastor. I mean, when I would, even when I was doing more evangelism and traveling, God opened a door for me and put me at a, like, it was like a teen challenge, but it wasn't. It was an it was a independent work. And um, with young people. And so I was still traveling and preaching some, but that was there. And even at my home church, I was asked to be involved with the youth and just help pray with them and stuff. I've always been involved with younger people. I've always had a burden to, for the next generation to have Pentecost and revival. And so while this was going on in my life, a couple years, God brought Sandy into my life. And I felt God moving us this direction. But, you know, everything I was at the time, my ministry was under Steve. You know, I mean, it was back then, I, that was my covering, and, and I was doing more of a cell group type thing and doing a lot of street evangelism, just street evangelism. But over time, God began to kind of morph this thing into what it is today. But that's the history, that's the roots. 
And I'm so thankful because even to this day, we've always been consistent and faithful. And God's always brought people around me that's consistent and faithful with prayer and with evangelism. And I'm thankful that, you know, Brother Anthony has, has come in. You know, not every place has a resident evangelist that's really, you know, used of God like that. And I really honor his ministry. But I wanted to give you some things. I'm just sharing from my heart tonight. Is that okay? Actually, I wanted you to take this stuff home and, and read on your own. I'll go through some of it, but I want it's for you, and I'll explain that later. So as revival started breaking out, I remember years ago, I had just moved here. And I had a burden for revival. But you remember Elijah? He had, man, Elijah faced the devil on his day. I mean, it was strong. And he had prophesied it was going to be a drought. I mean, it was dry as a bone. And he went up to the, um, what was it, Kareth Jerim or something? He went by that, the brook where he was fed by the raven. Cherub. Whatever it was. Cherith. Got it. It's in there somewhere. I just got to you know, bring it in. All right, anyway. So he was there by the brook. And I mean, this is supernatural time. There was a drought, yet he had water. Not only that, but, you know, a bird bringing you food every day, that would be really, that would be cool. Except for people that don't like blackbirds. <laughs> we have somebody that doesn't, but that's okay. And so they were, they were feeding him, so it's a supernatural time. And I remember, though, that at the end of the drought, God really spoke to Elijah that he was about to send rain. And I'm sharing all this because of something supernatural that happened to us, but as, as God spoke to Elijah, he began to pray. And I mean, he really began to intercede. And while he was praying, he told somebody with him to go look, and there was nothing. He said, is anything going on? They said, there's nothing. See, this is where you've got to have faith and persistence. And he kept praying, and he had him go look again, and there was nothing. And he kept praying, and then his servant came back and said, there's a cloud the size of a man's hand. And Elijah knew it's done. And he got up, and he went, and he prophesied, and moved on to uh, the city he was going to. Jer no, it wasn't Jericho. But anyway, he ran to that city. Remember, he outran Ahab's chariot. But the point was that the rain was coming down. And he had prayed it in earnestly. And what happened was with us, we came here. And this area, in my opinion, was as dry as a bone. There wasn't a move of God anywhere that I knew of around here. If there was, I didn't know about it. And I looked. And I remember just really interceding and praying for a move of God. And I'll never forget, just a, a small group of us back then, it was just a little cell group type thing going on. And the Holy Spirit, the first time the Holy Spirit fell in power, all of a sudden I turn and there's, there's like a, a mist or a little cloud. And I watched this thing, it shocked me, and I watched this thing go over. Nobody, nobody else saw it but me. But I watched this thing and it would go over somebody and they would start weeping and crying and, and just carrying on. And then it would move from them and go to somebody else and they would do the same thing. And I watched this thing go from person to person. And I knew, I was like, it's begun. Even back whenever, I mean this was a long time ago. But back, you know, before I even moved here, there was, there was, a, there was a stream, there was a river that was flowing. And there was one meeting that I had, just a handful of people were doing a little Bible study. And I had a little acoustic guitar and I was just leading some worship. 
and the Holy Spirit just fell. I mean, it was like, I mean, just an awesome. And um, I remember that there was a guy there that was, this was totally new to him. I just remember praying with him, and he fell out hard. And then I turned to this other guy, and he fell out hard. And then I turned, and there was a couple ladies that just started laughing, and they fell out. And the first guy told me later, he said he thought he landed in literal water because he felt a splash and he felt water around him. And then this other guy, I turned, this other guy comes up to me and had his hands out and I just slapped his hands as I turned. And I heard a loud commotion. Turned back, this guy was airborne and was in the air over. This is a funny story because as he was in the air, this other guy that was down saw him and was trying to get up and couldn't. And he and he hit the he hit the ground and rolled and hit the wall, and that was the, that was the beginnings of these type of things. What brings revival? I'm telling you right now that revival comes through prayer and fasting, and it comes through vicarious repentance because every time the children of Israel saw a great revival. They would confess the sins of their fathers. Vicarious repentance. And if you remember the story of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, he was a righteous man. To my knowledge, scripturally speaking, we don't know of anything that Daniel did that was evil in God's sight. He was a righteous man. But when you read Daniel chapter 9, here he is praying and interceding before God and he's saying, I confess our, this, our sins. He's associating himself with the whole nation of Israel. Forgive us for our sins. We have sinned against you. We have broken your laws. We deserve to be in Babylon. And he was repenting on behalf of the nation. Even though he was a righteous man. He kind of came under the weight and the burden of the sins of the nation of Israel. And he confessed it vicariously. He confessed it before God's. I mean, before the nation of Israel, he brought that before God. And the result of that was that there was a a long-standing prophecy from Jeremiah the prophet that the children of Israel would only be in Babylon 70 years. That's it. And so Daniel was reading the, the scroll of Jeremiah and saw that prophecy and said, 70 years are up. It's time to go. And so he got on his face in prayer and fasting, praying that way, and God moved on the heart of King Cyrus and begin to send him back. That Listen, that was the result of a righteous man repenting before God on behalf of a nation, coming under the burden of that sin of that nation before God. And that's somebody coming before God and saying, Lord, forgive us in this area or this nation. We've, we have sinned against you and go to God that way and confess the sins. It's a powerful thing. And God began to send back Ezra, and they rebuilt the temple. Then he sent back Nehemiah, and they rebuilt the wall, and you can read about all that. But that was a move of God to restore the second temple period. A move of God began because a righteous man prayed. Why did the rain come in Elijah's day? Because Elijah prayed. Revival comes through prayer. And don't ever think sometimes the Holy Spirit's speaking to you about something little or something that seems silly. You know, Edward Miller, a lot of people look at the Argentine revival and think, my God, it's, a, it's amazing what God did in the 80s and, and 90s because, I mean, there were so many people getting born again, whole cities were coming to Christ. Whole cities. There was the, the new birth rate of people being born again was greater than the actual birth rate in the nation. 
I mean, it was so radical. The fires of revival were burning so bright. And it was amazing what God was doing. And you, you look at the, the Carlos Anacondia time frame of him doing all those revival meetings. And you think, but that's not where it started. It started with Edward Miller years prior. It's him and these, these little Bible school students. It was a small group of people that prayed and fasted for revival in that nation. You should look it up because it said that the burden came on one girl. She was pinned to the floor. For, I mean, I, I, if I remember right, it was like a couple days. She was pinned to the floor. There were so many tears that she was soaked and the, the ground around her was just a puddle. And she was soaked in tears as she interceded. One of those Bible school students had an open vision. And the Lord showed them. And the Lord took them from place to place all over the world where revival would happen before Jesus comes. But see, at the end of that time where they were really praying and fasting for revival to break out in Argentina, at the end of that, they were in a little meeting and there was a little girl there that God spoke to her and said, I want you to go up and strike the table. And she thought, man, this is so stupid. And she was thinking to herself that I feel silly doing this. I'm going to run up and hit the table. But anyway, as soon as she obeyed the Lord and hit the table, something just, I mean, it was an explosion in the spirit realm. But see, those little prophetic acts, you think, what does that mean? I don't know. It doesn't matter what it means. It matters the Lord said do it, and when she did it. And you know, it reminds me of back when um, it was Elijah or Elisha. I believe it was Elisha told the king, he said, to strike those arrows to the ground. And the king thought, well, this is silly. And he only struck them to the ground once or twice. And, and Elisha got angry and said, you know what? If you would have really done that like you were supposed to, God would have annihilated your enemies, but now you're only going to have a few battles that you win. You see that young lady striking that table, something happened, and there was a move of God of prayer and fasting during those early days. I can't remember now all the details, but I know it was very powerful. And the result of those prayer meetings was later, years later, the revival that broke out in Argentina. And I remember that Dr. Cho prophesied, I've shared this through this series, but I want you all to hear this again. Dr. Cho prophesied that revival, God had not reserved America for judgment. He was burdened for America and was really praying. And he prophesied, he said, America is going to see a great revival. He said, it, it will begin in Pensacola and burn like a matchhead. And then it will move 50 miles west. And that's exactly what happened. It started in Pensacola, and now it moved 50 miles west to Mobile Bay, with the Bay of the Holy Spirit revival that's going on right now. He said then it would move to Louisiana, then up the East Coast, which I'm assuming is New England area. Then he said across the nation down to the Southwest, which I'm assuming is Southern California. And then he said once it gets up, though, to the Pacific Northwest, he said all of America would be ablaze in the fires of revival. Ruth Ward Heflin saw America ablaze in the fires of revival in Dallas, Texas, as the hub of the revival. It's significant that we're here. Prayer and fasting and vicarious repentance bring revival. Seeking the presence of God. Seeking the anointing. And unstructured services. I made up my mind. I've been, I've been, in, I've been in, you know, church my whole life. And I was one of the ones that was bored to tears growing up. You know, sometimes in dead Pentecostal churches and things. But church isn't supposed to be like that. 
And I'm going to tell you that whenever I started this ministry, you know, I decided I was not going to have church as usual. I'd already been touched by revival, and that was going to be what it was. And you have to put an emphasis on God's presence. Too many people out there, most people, you know, we do this for 10 minutes, we do this for 10 minutes, we do this for 30 minutes, we do this for 45 minutes. God doesn't move in that. You know what that's called in the Bible? That's called an old wineskin. Because it's rigid and the Lord won't put new wine in an old wineskin. He won't. But once you allow your ministry and your church to become a new wineskin that's flexible and will move with the Holy Spirit in an unstructured service, then the Lord will put new wine in a new wineskin like that. If you really want to move of God, you're going to have to put an emphasis on the presence of God. And people that don't want God's presence, that's fine. But there is people that do. And God will bring them around you. What sustains revival? The same thing, prayer and fasting, but also being humble. Remember that Satan was in the glory. He was Lucifer, but he was in the glory. He was in God's manifest presence. The Bible says he walked among the fiery stones. I mean, he was right there in God's manifest presence, but he was lifted up with pride and he fell. It's easy when you get in the glory to become prideful. And you have to live a righteous life. The same glory that works with you, if you get in sin, will begin to work against you and expose you. Let me say that again. The same glory that's working with you, if you get in sin, will turn around and work against you and expose you if you don't deal with it. So walk humbly, live righteously, keep a new wineskin. I promise you, I have faced it. I'm telling you, anybody that's going after God for revival will face people that do not want the move of God and want to change what's going on. They want you to stop having unstructured services. You're going to have to deal with that and not buckle under pressure. Follow the Holy Spirit. This is what I want to do and then we're going to move into something different tonight. Y'all are going to help me pray about some things, okay? Is that all right? The Holy Ghost prayer meeting. But enemies of revival. I'm going to give you this real fast because you guys already know a lot of this. But I'm going to tell you four real fast, dark, satanic spirits that fiercely oppose revival. Because you got to understand, revival is a major threat to the devil. I mean a major threat. The devil doesn't see things the way that... God doesn't see things, and neither does the devil see things the way a lot of people see things. You know, people look at the outward, and they think, oh wow, look at that, but... It doesn't mean that it's it's accomplishing a lot in the spiritual. But if you're winning souls and you're seeing a move of God, you're a threat. Now, these are dark spirits that oppose the move of God. All of these four dark spirits I'm going to expose to you, I want you to really get this part I'm saying. They are all opposed to revival and they are all very generational. That means if your parents, grandparents, whatever, dealt with it, you need to pray about that. All of them. Everybody say all of them. All of them them try to counterfeit the Holy Spirit. They try to pretend to be the Holy Spirit. All of them are connected to health problems. 
and will try to stop the flow of the anointing and will hinder financial provision. <clears throat> this is the first one and the main one I want to talk about is Leviathan and this is what we're dealing with right now and my spiritual covering is dealing with it as well these are some scriptures about it but Leviathan is a very powerful spirit I'm not dealing with like I said last week I'm not dealing with little troll demons that run around causing problems okay just calling them that, you know, but I'm, I'm saying not these little guys that run around messing with people. I'm not dealing with it. I'm dealing with principalities and powers and those that set up in the second heaven and oppress regions and territories. Leviathan is extremely powerful and dangerous. It has to do with pride. Real fast, let me tell you, Leviathan operates through prideful people. It is the spirit behind the accuser. See, Satan comes as a tempter. He comes as a deceiver, but he also comes as the accuser. So his three MOs, if you will. All right, I see when he comes as the accuser, he wants to accuse God to you in your mind. He wants you to get offended with God, angry with God, and bitter with God, and get hurt feelings. That's the accuser trying to accuse God in your mind. He also will accuse you to yourself and try to make you feel like a piece of garbage. He's, he'll ride somebody. You're no good. You know, tell them that they're, they're worthless and they look at you. You struggle with these areas. How can you ever be a great man or woman of God? How can you ever get in the ministry? How can you ever do this? It just rides people. And it's, a, it's an accusing spirit in people's mind. It accuses them to themselves. Trying to cause them to hate themselves and have a really low self-esteem. You know, the only way you're really going to rise up and do something for God is to get over a lot of the stuff you've been through. See, the devil attacks people that are called, and he wants to, to break, like call somebody have a wounded spirit where they've been traumatized and broken in life because then they'll sit down and be so insecure that they'll never rise up and do anything. But the Lord can heal that and set you free. The way that the accuser will also work is he will accuse other people to you. You'll be sitting there and all of a sudden you're just getting irritated with somebody. You look across the room at church, whatever, you're getting irritated with somebody. Why are they looking at me like that? You know, when I came in this morning, they just, they gave me, they eyeballed me. I don't know what's going on. And you just, you're just getting irritated with them. And you don't know why, but there's just something there that's accusing in your mind. It's accusing them to you. And I promise you, it's doing the same thing to them. I think most church problems start that way. I really do. The enemy sits back and laughs because the overwhelming majority of Christians don't even consider that there's spiritual things going on behind the scenes. And the reason why you're ticked off is, is a stupid reason and you shouldn't be. There's the spirit behind it. But the accuser is, is stirring up. Now listen, this is important. This spirit, I mean, has an awesome power about it when it comes to confusion. It wants to twist and confuse everything. What you say comes out of your mouth one way and you don't mean nothing by it, but somebody, the way they hear it, they hear it a totally different way than you said it. And then they come back and say something to you and you just heard it in your mind. You just, you just saw them and they, and they horns grew. And you just saw, just, they just, it's like all of a sudden, you know, they, they look like the devil and you're all ticked off at them. And the whole time, it's Leviathan. Leviathan is a powerful spirit, and listen to me, it's not to be taken lightly. Because this spirit has destroyed churches. It has destroyed churches. 
It has destroyed relationships that God put together. God put like covenant relationships together and this spirit came in and got people offended with each other and literally destroyed the relationship so bad that, they, that it's probably permanent damage unless God performs a miracle. The thing about Leviathan, real quick, it says in Job 41 that he has scales. And I just heard this. This is amazing, so I want to share this with you. He has scales around him that are so tight together that the, the wind can't get in. And the wind is the breath of God. And so these people are the people that you see many times that are standing there in church and everybody else around them is getting touched and they're just kind of... You guys know who I'm talking about. You've seen them. And everybody around them is getting blasted. Somebody's laughing there on the ground or whatever. Another person's crying. This person's just sitting there. Why are they laughing? You know, what's so funny? And here they are in their pride. They don't realize it, but something has wrapped them and they can't even feel it. it, it these scales are things like anger, rejection, fear, religion, shame, and lust. This is all in the notes. But... This, this is what marks a humble person. Now, I want everybody to please hear me with this because I'm not going to dwell long on the other spirits because you guys already know a lot of this anyway. I'm going to move quick. But what marks a real, true, humble person is somebody that is very teachable, very childlike. There, there's been over the years, there's been several times that I've been forced to just bite my lip and not say a word and just pray for people. But I really wanted to talk to some people over the years and share from my heart with them to help them. But I knew that there was such a, with this, there was such a rejection thing there and something that was so sensitive about them that if I said anything to them, they would go off either really angry with me or they'd go off and cry their eyes out and make it a big thing. See, if somebody comes up to you and they ball up their fist and they start wailing on you, that's abuse. If somebody comes up to you and they start yelling at you saying you're an idiot and a moron and start cussing you out, that's verbal abuse. But if somebody comes up to you and they go, man, I love you, but maybe you need to work on this, that's not abuse. And that's not unloving. This is good. In fact, it's very loving. But a lot of people out there cannot take it at all. They have too much pride. And I've always said this, and it's true. A lot of times people, it's not that they're hurt. It's that their pride is hurt. And there's a difference. I want you to really think about it. Be honest with yourself, because it's between you and God. Are you somebody that has been really good at taking constructive criticism from a friend or a spouse or somebody coming to you in love and saying, man, you know, I see this about you, you need to change this. Or does that really bother you? See, somebody like, like a pastor should be able to go to somebody in love or, or somebody come to me in love and say, you know, I see this. I'm just trying to help you, but I see this. And if, and if it causes you to just bawl your eyes out, just to get so offended and so angry and so upset, you just soul and you, it just really, really bothers you. Why did, he, why did he say that? I can't believe he would say that. That's a sign that Leviathan's at work. And there's pride. That's the area where that scale of Leviathan of rejection is there. 
I've seen people that when you're in a position of authority, sometimes you, you have no choice. You have to talk to people because they're out of line and, and somebody's got to deal with it. And the buck stops with the, the authority figure. So it stops here with me you know, when it comes to this ministry. And so I've had to go people and talk to them. But I, I remember sometimes that I would go to somebody in, in love in private. I mean, and really nice about it. And Sandy knows when I talk to people, it's real, you know, I'm nice about it. But man, I've had some people that as soon as it comes out of your mouth, they have escalated the conversation to a very angry tone and strife. Right? I mean, you can just feel it. Poof. They can't stand that you would dare say that to them. And it's like, okay. Sorry, I mean, but bottom line, but bottom line, it's like this with me. It's like, but there's sin there, and whether you're mad or not, it's not going to continue. And that, that's gone really well, as you can imagine. Same with fear. This thing will put up fear or religion or shame. Somebody that's just bound to shame about something in their past or lust. And the reason why this thing keeps throwing up these scales is so that it's never really exposed and dealt with the way it needs to be. Because every time God wants to deal with it, He'll send somebody to the person to talk to them. And He's wanting them to really humble themselves and receive it. And if they would really humble themselves and listen and receive it, they could break the power of Leviathan. But every time that God tries to send somebody to do that, all of a sudden that, that scale of anger rises up and they begin to lash out. How dare you talk to me like that? Who do you think you are? Or that scale of rejection comes up and they get all offended and they go cry for three days. I'm not exaggerating. And it shouldn't be like that. That's Leviathan. This spirit will deceive people with false revelations. It's funny how all of a sudden the pastor starts talking to somebody in love and now in their mind the pastor is now the devil. That's a false revelation. <laughs> cold love. It will bring cold love, a hard heart, stubbornness and strife. So I've got a scripture I want to show you. This is good preaching. I'm not really getting shouted down like I should, but it's still good. Listen, in, in Proverbs... Proverbs 13, verse 10. Listen to this. Okay, just listen to this. It says, only by pride comes contention. Now, let me read it a different way. Only by pride comes strife. You know why people fight a lot of the time? Only by pride comes strife. The reason why they fight is because of pride. Because neither party will humble themselves and say, I'm sorry. I was wrong, I shouldn't have said that, I'm sorry I got upset, and they just humble themselves. See, uh, somebody that's a prideful person has a very difficult time saying I'm sorry. It's like they're, uh, I'm, uh, uh, and they, should, they just, uh, sorry. Or I'm sorry, you're wrong. You know? <laughs> yeah, they have a really hard time saying I'm sorry. It's funny. But you know, there was a story about a man that was watching wildlife. He was out there. And there was these two big mule deer, male, they were fighting. And they were just hitting each other really hard and they locked horns. And while they were fighting over their territory or whatever, he was watching them. And they had locked horns. And they were going toward a cliff. Now, if one of them fell off the cliff, obviously their horns are locked so they'd take the other one with them. 
these animals were smart enough to look with their eye and look over the cliff and look at the other one and they, he watched them unlock their horns and just walk off. Oh, that people would be that smart. <laughs> See, the thing is, you've got to get to a place where you're humble enough to just say, you know, I'm sorry about that. I shouldn't have said that. Whatever. And just be humble. Another thing is stubborn. Somebody that's prideful stubborn. It takes the Lord telling them something over and over and over and over before they will finally change their ways. It's stubborn. Hard-headed. In the Bible, it was called stiff-necked because, the, you know, in that time, they used animals for a lot. If an animal was really stiff-necked, it wouldn't turn to the left or to the right. It was straight on. You know, it's like a, you know, a mule or whatever. Stubborn. They're hard-hearted and there's a cold love there. They have a difficult time. Somebody has a lot of pride, has a difficult time really being tender and loving. Brings death, destruction, and downfalls. Now I'm just going to read over these real quick because over the years I've taught on this stuff enough to where you guys know about Jezebel religion and Python, but I still need to say it. So real fast, the Jezebel spirit is no joke. It is serious. And if you come under an attack of a Jezebel spirit, it is, it is bad. And the way that you can feel that thing is it will try to bring depression. It tries to make you feel like giving up. You'll, be, you'll wake up in the morning and life's really not that bad, but you just feel like you can't go on. I mean, it's just major depression. And it will bring, in your mind, it tries to confuse and, it, your thoughts. And if you're around somebody that's got a Jezebel spirit and they're laying into you, it just feels like this blanket of evil is coming against you. It operates through control. A Jezebel spirit, the person wants to control everything. Have you guys ever known a control freak? Yes. A control freak is somebody that has got to be in control. And they're very afraid. They're very fearful. They're afraid of not being in control. And they try to control people around them and manipulate it's also a spirit that operates through rebellion. How many of y'all ever known a rebellious person? How many, how many of you guys used to be a rebellious person? Amen, but we have repented. Well, and then another thing is witchcraft. It operates through witchcraft. Now, witchcraft is a spiritual power that wants to control everybody. So let's kind of use that twice. But it's a witchcraft, satanic power that wants to put somebody under a, their, their control. Now... I gave a bunch of scriptures, but somebody has a really strong Jezebel spirit about them. Again, something is on them that's not of God. It's a demonic spirit. It's on them. And they think that it's the Holy Ghost. So they think they're being led by the Spirit. But what's whispering in their ear is not the Holy Ghost. It's another spirit. And they tend to be clairvoyant and psychic because they do tend to know things that they shouldn't know. But it's demonic. They also, you'll see that they will be rebellious and disrespectful to authority and ultimately will seek to undermine and discredit the authority. They may come in and look really good. I mean, they're just the sweetest people. They flatter everybody. They give a bunch of gifts, shake everybody's hands. They know how to be real nice and all of that. But behind the scenes, they're plotting how they're going to undermine that authority figure and make him look bad and ultimately try to set themselves up to calling the shots. One way or another. That's the spirit that would set up a minister 
and lie about them to try to discredit them. Fear leading to control. That spirit will cause somebody to be lustful, vindictive. Man, vindictive. I should have highlighted that one. Vindictive, big time. It will cause them to be power hungry and demeaning toward male authority. See, the Bible says that in both Ephesians 5 and also, um, I believe it's 1 Peter 3, but it talks about you know wives submitting to their husbands, but it talks about showing respect to their husbands. See, this spirit, my goodness, they can't do that. They want to be demeaning and disrespectful to their husband. And they don't want to submit. Submit means to come under authority, so it means to be obedient to authority with a good attitude. You ever seen somebody that's obedient to authority, but yet they have a really bad attitude about it? They're like, I'll do it, but, you know. That's not really true submission from the heart. It is the satanic goddess that sits over all forms of idolatry. It has to do with whoredoms and error. The spirit of whoredoms, you know what that is? It causes people to backslide and be unfaithful. The spirit of whoredoms is a spirit of unfaithfulness or adultery to where somebody that has a spirit of whoredoms, they will, have, they will struggle with committing adultery on their spouse and they'll struggle with being unfaithful to God. They'll continually backslide from God. And they will struggle with being faithful with covenant relationships. they got a friend, but they can never really truly be loyal. I don't know about you, but I want to be loyal. If i got a friend, I want to be a loyal friend. But I've known people, I love them and I forgive them. But, you know, who needs enemies, right? When you've got friends like that aren't loyal. Because, I mean, they're your friend one day, and then they knife you in the back the next. That's a spirit of whoredoms. We should be willing to take a bullet for one another and be loyal the spirit of, it also is connected with the spirit of error, and that is deception. It leads people into false doctrine. It will ultimately cause division, rebellion, and, and health problems. The spirit of religion, I'm just going to read over this. It opposes the anointing. It resists, it resists free heart worship, opposes revival. If you want scriptures, there's too many to list. Just read about the Pharisees all through the Bible. It appears to be pious and religious and knowledgeable. I've met people that, man, they know the word. They can quote scripture. They get into the Greek and Hebrew and all that. But the whole time, you can just tell they're actually an enemy of the Holy Spirit. They hate the move of God. I would hate to live my whole life knowing the Bible, get to heaven and see Jesus, and Jesus look at me and say, your whole life, you, you had the Bible memorized. And you appeared like you were really something. You knew it. You could quote it. But your whole life, you were actually my enemy. You fought everything I tried to do in the church I put you. You resisted my Holy Spirit. I wouldn't want to be that person. But there's people exactly like that. And that's what they're going to see on Judgment Day. They're critical. They're fault-finding. They're judgmental. And they're debating. You guys ever met somebody that wants to fight about everything? Debate about everything? The Bible says to avoid that. Uses scriptures, he'll quote scripture to bring death. It hates the anointing and the gifts. Brings spiritual death instead of life. It's like a wet blanket on a church. <clears throat> the python spirit. The python spirit will counterfeit the Holy Spirit. Acts 16, 16 talks about that girl that had a python spirit, a demon. A python spirit will wrap around somebody or a church and try to squeeze the life out of them. And the way that it gets in, it gets in through 
counterfeiting the Holy Spirit. It will pretend to be the Holy Spirit. And when somebody begins to listen to it and talk to it because they think it's the Holy Spirit, it'll start coming in. And when it comes in, it'll start wrapping around people and wrapping around the church and try to squeeze the life right out of it. It pretends to have, it pretends to be the Holy Spirit, so it will give somebody false visions, dreams, and false prophetic utterances. It is actually the spirit of divination. It's an occult spirit. It squeezes the life out of people in ministries and connected with health problems as well. So these are four spirits that Satan will send against revival. If the glory of God, His manifest presence comes somewhere, I promise you Leviathan is coming. If the spirit of Elijah rests somewhere, the spirit of Elijah is the Holy Spirit coming as the sevenfold spirit of God. That is the spirit of the Lord, but what? Wisdom, revelation, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. You guys know this. So when the Holy Spirit comes like that, the sevenfold manifestation, he comes as the spirit of Elijah. Who do you think is going to oppose the spirit of Elijah? The spirit of Jezebel. You know it's coming. And whenever you have a move of God, revival fire breaking out. Revival fire. What opposes revival fire? A religious spirit. And when the wind of heaven is blowing, and you've got like a rushing mighty wind, there's a wind blowing, a wind of life. What is going to oppose the winds of heaven? It's going to be python trying to squeeze it out. See, a python will wrap around an actual person, and every time they exhale, it'll squeeze tighter till they don't have any breath left in them, and then they'll die. That's exactly what it does in the spiritual sense. And God wants to make sure... This is how I want to close this. So I want everybody to please remember this. So God wants to make sure that all of you that are called to be a part of a move of God are going to be protected. Because I'm telling you that those things I just listed, to say that they're in this area would be an understatement. They are definitely in this region. And they have been attacking this region for some time. And don't you know that the devil knows the prophecies over Dallas? And don't you know that he's already sent things into this region to oppose those prophecies? And I believe that God wants you to be protected. Whenever this stuff starts to come, it's already been attacking. But anyway, when this stuff continues to attack down the road or whatever, then it's not going to be able to take you out. The only way that you can truly defeat Leviathan is to really humble yourself and keep going deeper in humility. To where you're not easily offended. You can lose an argument. It's not that big a deal. Somebody can correct you or even rebuke you. You know, the book of Proverbs says that better to be rebuked by a friend. You know, somebody could rebuke you, correct you, whatever. And it's, it's like, okay, you know, I can receive that. It's not going to be this great devastation. That because if it is, if it still causes that great devastation, what happens is, you see, Leviathan sees those things, and as soon as there's an opportunity, in it comes. You see what I'm saying? The humility to be able to go to somebody in your church and say, look, you know, the other day you said this, and it kind of bothered me, so what do you mean by it? Just kind of talk it out. How many problems would be resolved just by doing that? Or if somebody comes to gossip to you, you're like, well, I don't want to hear it. Or you say, well, let's go talk to so-and-so and work it out. You know, Be a peacemaker. See, the Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. Sometimes somebody's had a bad day, and they're going off. and it, it, 
by a soft answer, you can calm them down. Jesus said the peacemakers will what be called the sons of God. So if you're a peacemaker, the sons of God has to do with authority. God's going to start raising you up in great authority as you become a peacemaker. You're somebody that can go into a room full of strife, people fighting, and you have so much authority that you can actually bring peace in there and calm it down. This is a big deal. Because the Bible says that God has, he says the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. See, what are your feet covered with? The shoes of peace. As you walk in peace, the enemy has a hard time getting through to you. Because you're walking in peace and you're even causing people around you to to be at peace and calm down. The enemy hates peace. He always wants people stirred up in strife and conflict. A kingdom divided can't stand. So Satan knows if he can keep God's people divided, it, it's not gonna, we're not going to be able to accomplish what we're called to do. So if you see that there's strife, there's contention, there's Leviathan, there's maybe pride or whatever in your family, or these other issues I talked about, you need to pray and say, Lord, if there's something generational in my life, I, right now I want to go to you on behalf of my family. And say, Lord, I'm sorry, I repent, forgive us. For this sin that's been in our family, I'm asking you to take this stuff out of me because I want to be different. Now that I'm a Christian, I don't have to share in family junk, family curses and bondage and junk like that. I can be free. And so I'm asking you to cleanse that out of me by the blood of Jesus. Wash it out of me and let your Holy Spirit come in and burn it out. Let that fire get it out of me that I'm different. Because this stuff is fiercely generational. I've seen it in family lines, man. It just travels right down it. Another thing is truly surrender to the Lord and let Him burn out everything that needs to go. But let me give you this. And then we're going to pray. Look for these positive characteristics in your own life and in a church. Let me give you a few quick things then we're going to pray. But number one, do you see God's glory in your life and do you see God's glory in a church? Because God's glory, and I'm talking about His glory, I'm talking about His manifest presence, that you can sense a weightiness, His glory, His kabod, which is His weighty presence, His shekinah is a shining, but it's a glory. Do you have that in your life, and is it in your church? Because it needs to be, and where you see God's glory, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory. So where there's sin, there's not going to be the glory. And I will tell you something else, where there's the sin of strife and fighting, there's not going to be the glory. But where God's glory is, is a very good sign, because God does not play around with His glory. He will not put His glory somewhere that's not right. Remember that. Somebody can be very anointed, and they can be very gifted. They can get up and give an accurate word of knowledge, and somebody be healed right there. And still in their own personal life, they're totally in sin. That can happen. And that does happen. But I'll tell you this. There will not be a tangible glory in their life. There won't be. God will lift the glory. But see, once somebody's got an anointing, once that's been put in them, it's just there. Once the gift is in them, it's there. How many people have prostituted the anointing and the gift? And they got into sin and they would just... You know, because of their sin, their relationship with the Lord was hindered, but they would still just keep going through the motions because they had that anointing gift in their life, and everybody would just 
oh, they're just the greatest, and they'll go in and preach and minister, and things happen. But you can, you should be able to have enough discernment in your spirit to know something's not right. But a really good sign, if you sense the glory, that's a really good sign. Does that make sense? Because you cannot counterfeit the glory. Either it's there or it's not. Another thing to look for is don't compete with others. That's a big problem. Aren't we all supposed to be doing the same thing together? Aren't we all supposed to just be winning souls? So if you're out winning souls and you see somebody else winning souls, why does it have to be a competition? You know, if you're worshiping God and some other church is worshiping God, why does there have to be a competition about who's got the best worship? Why can't we just all worship God? Amen. But I'm going to tell you, competition is huge. It's huge. But it is a very bad sign. Because it grieves God. We're not supposed to be competing. We're supposed to be helping one another. Another thing is give the Holy Spirit lordship. The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. But really that can be read and translated like this. Where the Spirit is Lord, there's freedom. So if you're going to give Him lordship and let Him take over, then give it to Him and quit trying to take it back. How many people say, yes, Holy Spirit, come have your way in the service. And as soon as He starts moving, they're like, well, wait a second. Now we're going to do this. I tried to talk to a minister one time in love, but man, every time the Holy Spirit started to move in the worship service, he would jump up and go up there and go to the next thing. Every time, man. And I was sitting there going, I tried to talk to him about it. He just, he got offended and got mad. But it's like, who cares about your sermon if the Lord shows up and takes over? Who cares anymore? Let him come touch people. Another thing is being kingdom-minded. How many people are really kingdom minded? Because what if what if we go out tonight and we win 100 people to Jesus and all of them go other places and build up other ministries and all that? So what? Praise God they got saved and praise God other people are blessed. Who cares? We should be kingdom minded. We should be helping other people with their ministries, doing what they're trying to do for the Lord. Support it. Pray for them. That's a kingdom mindset. And where there's a kingdom mindset, that's a really good sign. But whenever people are about themselves, you know, most of us know that most people are looking out for number one. And the Apostle Paul said that in so many words when he was talking about Timothy. He said this, he said, all people seek their own. That's what he meant. He said, they're looking out for number one. But he said, except for Timothy. And he commended him. See, most people, they're just looking out for number one. And that's a prideful... They're, they're building their own kingdom, their own reputation, and it's all about them. That's a bad sign. If you see that, that's a bad, bad sign. It needs to be about the kingdom of God, period, across the board. You know, being a blessing to other people, honoring other ministries. And that's another thing, the next one, honoring others in other ministries. Why can't we honor people anymore? You know, honor is not glorifying the person. That's a different thing. Honor is just showing respect and love and, and giving them their, their proper dignity. You know, and just saying, you know, they're doing a great job over here. This church is doing a great job. This evangelist is doing a great job. We honor them. We respect what they're doing. We, we you know, we accredit them with what they're doing. It, it's just being honorable. And, you know, the person that's honorable will honor others. But somebody that has their own agenda and they're insecure and it's all about them, they can't honor other people. 
Another thing is using godly authority but not oppressively controlling. You have to use your godly authority, but that does not mean you oppressively control. It's like I went back earlier and talked about earlier about people just being control freaks. And it's oppressive. We're not talking about that. But how many knows that you, you can pastor revival and you can use your authority to oversee and to protect, but it's not meant to come in like this and oppress everything and control everything either. If that makes sense. Have an eternal mindset. How many people live for the here and now? Most people. I heard of somebody doing this one time. I liked it. They were saying that they were going to live for 30 days as though they only have one day left to live. Maybe we should do that. Take 30 days where you, it's between you and God where you live each day as though it was your last day on earth. What would you do different? Well, I promise you would pray more and you would witness more. And you would be thinking about eternity. You'd be thinking about the next life and what's, you know. That needs to be in the forefront. Leonard Ravenhill said that he had something on his ceiling in his prayer room about, you know, eternity. I think that's the word he had up there. But every time he would make a decision, he would lean back and look at eternity and he would think, how's this decision going to affect eternity? How's it going to be in the long run? Because too many people are just living for the here and now. What can I get out of it now? But it's like, we need to have an eternal mindset of how is this affecting the long term? How is this going to affect people eternally? Another thing is preaching the uncompromising truth with sound doctrine. Now, we're living in a time where Satan's trying to get people to start watering things down. That was a good time for an amen right there. We're living in a time when Satan's trying to get people to water it down. It's a bad sign. That's a really bad sign. When somebody's willing to sell out, especially on like TV or something publicly, they're willing to sell out. They know something's wrong, but they're going to say it's right. Or they know something's right, but they're going to say it's wrong. Or they're going to withhold information, shy back and be cowardly. That is a very bad sign. We need people that will preach the truth. Another thing is encouraging people to have a strong prayer life and study the Word for themselves. I've tried to always encourage that, but somebody, you know what the Catholic Church did during the Dark Ages? They wouldn't let people read the Bible for themselves or pray for themselves. Have their own personal prayer life. They thought they were too stupid or whatever. So they said, you know, if you need to understand the Bible, then you have to come to us and we will teach it to you. And if you want to pray, you've got to come to us and we will go to God for you. That's demonic. And let me tell you something. There are people, though, that are still to have that type of mentality. They treat people like that. Listen, you can pray for yourself. You can hear from God yourself. And you need to study the Bible for yourself and not just blindly follow anybody. It's a bad sign when people want you to just blindly follow them and discourage you from reading the Bible. Or having your own prayer life. And the last thing is pure motives. What is the motive behind what you're doing? Because you can do the right thing for the wrong reason. And even though you do the right thing and you got the wrong reason, when you stand for the Lord, you're still condemned because it was still wrong. The Lord the Lord's is looking at motives, and motives are a big deal to God. A real big deal.
even if you're doing the right things, you know, you're, you're praying and you're studying the Word, but the motive in your heart is to, to be like, I'm going to go above my peers and be better than them. There's like this pride in you. That's a wrong motive. There can be ulterior motives sometimes to people's giving. They give large sums of money in a church, but the reason they're doing it is because they want to control what goes on with it. That's a wrong motive. You see what I'm saying? Doing the right things, but for the wrong reasons. So make sure you check yourself. Why am I doing in life what I'm doing? Do I have pure motives about it? These things are a bad sign whenever people have evil motives in their heart. God needs to deal with that in people. So here's what I want you to do. You got these notes. I'm not going to go through the rest of them. I put them in there so you can pray about it. But how many of you guys would be honest with yourself right now before God? And you would be honest and you would say, Pastor Scott, I know that revival's coming in America. And I know that Dallas is going to be significant. And I'm hungry for God. And I really, truly want to be usable in this revival. I want God to be able to use me. And I really mean that. And you really mean it from your heart. If that's you, then here's what I want you to do. The rest of this that I, I have printed off is a list of things to pray about to disconnect you from anything to do with Leviathan or Jezebel or religion. And it will help you to make sure none of that's in your heart. And as you go before God, just really sincerely pray about, Lord, if I've been somebody that, that hated to be corrected or disciplined, I would get just really in a bad way. Forgive me for that. Take that out of me. Clean it out of me. If it's been in my family and I inherited that garbage, get it out. I don't want it anymore. And you'll go through this stuff and just pray about these things. It's going to purify your heart and purify you. And I don't think it's something just to pray about once. I think it's something that you're going to hang on to for a little bit and refer back to. But if you're really sincere about being used of God, I want you to take those things and put it in your Bible or whatever and have it with you and really sincerely pray about it that God will do a deep, deep work in you. And I believe that if you will do that, I believe that God is going to start promoting some of you and using you a lot more than you've ever been used. But let me say this real quick. And I'm going to pray with people that want prayer. Watch out for false humility. How many knows that there's false humility? A false humility is in, number one is insecurity. That's not humble. Sitting around, you know. That's not humble. That's insecure. That's a false humility. Another thing about false humility is some people they'll they'll dress real poor or whatever and, and they they appear really like they're humble, but actually they're not. You know, don't get sucked into a false humility where Satan's trying to make you feel like you're humble, but you're not because of things like that, that you're trying to, you know, or being real down on yourself, like thinking to yourself, well, I'm a piece of garbage or whatever. That's not really humble. That's just insecure, low self-esteem stuff. True humility, if it's real, you'll be bold, you'll be full of faith, and you'll be confident. But you do realize in your heart that the only good thing in you is Jesus. And it's only His, it's only His grace that you have anything that you do. And you give Him all the glory. It's like even though I may pray for somebody and God touch them, whatever, it was really Jesus that did it. It's just His grace. 
If God's given you a gift of prophecy and you can prophesy, it's only by the grace of God that that happens. And you defer all the glory to Him and you realize that... And another thing about a truly humble person is they will honor other people. And, it, and the Bible says esteem them better than themselves. So they're always honoring and putting people up in their mind. Up. Pride will always cause somebody to always be putting somebody down beneath them. But somebody that's humble will always be lifting people up. And esteeming them better. I believe that God has a mighty call on you guys. And that's why... Tonight was a divine appointment. You're hearing this. Those that are hearing this by live stream, those that are going to hear this driving down the road, there's a reason you're hearing this sermon. I believe that God's hand's on you and He's wanting to use you in a mighty, mighty way. Let me read you this prophecy by Rick Joyner. Is this okay? He said, For the last few years I have been given visions of a very unique and still quite small, small spiritual force that is being prepared in different places around the world. I believe that some of you in the sound of my voice, this applies to you. That's why I'm reading it. Those who are part of this spiritual force have the most fierce resolution in their purpose I've ever witnessed. In fact, whenever I think of them, this is the first thing I think of. They are profoundly sure of who they are and where they're going. They have an uncompromising devotion to truth and integrity. Even though they tend to be severe in their demeanor, they are driven by their love for God and people. They may be the most powerful, supernatural, powerful people that have ever walked the face of the earth at one time. And they will be known as the messengers of His power. And they will be, I love this, walking coals of fire from the very throne of God who will help to set off revival and moves of God wherever they go. That's really cool the way he said that. I like that. Another thing is, he said, in the same way, they are having a hard time. Now listen, this is important. They are having a hard time fitting in with the church in its present state. They are marching to a different drumbeat, a different sound. The enemy will try to take advantage of this to make them bitter or rebellious as he knows this will be the most effective way that he can disqualify them from their purpose. Even though they resist becoming bitter or rebellious, most are far too focused and serious to fit into the typical local church life as it is right now. Amen. Because of this, the Lord is even now preparing places for them where they can join with others who are called as they are. These are God's special forces. If we understand them, many unnecessary problems can be avoided. And he describes them as a, like special forces in the military. I really believe that God's hand is on you guys in that way. I really do. Let me close with this. Jill had a dream years ago. This is a long time ago. And she saw a palace. It looked like back in Jesus' day, like a Roman. What you would p- picture maybe being where a Caesar would live. And it kind of had marble pillars and things. And we were there. And it was like everybody was under the power. They were all on the ground under the power. And the Lord was mightily touching people. And in the dream, I told everybody just to rest in the Lord because He's doing a deep work and He's burning out of people what needs to go. And He's doing a deep work in people. And it was like Jesus was physically there, but He was hovering over the ground and He was walking in the midst of the group. And also, there was somebody that mentioned, well, somebody went in there and died. And in the dream, I told them, I said, yeah, because they were playing games. They weren't taking it serious. I believe with all my heart, though, that game players are gone, okay? And and people that are here are really hungry to be used of God. And really, I believe that. I believe that in the sound of my voice, there's a lot of sincerity. But God is doing a work of finalizing, preparing you, so that these dark forces of the enemy are not going to be able to come in and be able to knock you off track. 
Because some people start good and they finish bad. I don't want that said about me. Uh, you know, I may have started bad, but I want to finish good. I don't want to be somebody that started good and something came in and knocked me off course and now I'm going down a wrong path. I don't want that. And see, that's what things like Leviathan and Jezebel and this Python thing and religion, it will try to do. It will try to come in and slam people. It's religious spirit. will try to stir up so much persecution that somebody will struggle becoming bitter about it because they're so persecuted. And see, that bitterness can cause them to get off track. I don't want that. I don't want to be knocked off course. I want to be able to stay the course. And that's what God is wanting to do in you guys. And I'm telling you, tonight is a paradigm shift. There, there's winds of change that are blowing. There's something different. And this, I feel like, is like the final chapter of something God's doing. It's like He had me document this and give it to you, and it's like He's sealing off a season that we were in, and we're about to enter a completely different thing, a completely different season, a new paradigm. It's different. It's not going to look like what it did yesterday. Just don't expect that. Too many times people expect what happened yesterday. Don't do that. Don't fall into that pattern. It's going to be different. It's going to look different because yesterday was preparation, but tomorrow's promised land. I'm telling you, it's going to look different. It's going to be different. And this is a final work at hand that God's doing. And what I want to do is I'm going to pray with people that want prayer tonight, but man, I'm, I'm feeling it. Come on me now. That God's about to show up in, in a powerful, powerful way. So I want you all to stand with me. I want you to help me pray. Is that okay? Listen, we're going to, we're going to call to the north, south, east, and west. I want to go ahead and record all this. Brother Zach, if you would, I want to record all this. You guys ready? Y'all help me out. Can you just worship for a moment? Pray in the Spirit. Come on. Just lift your voice. We don't need any worship. Just lift your voice. <coughs> That's it. Just keep worshiping. There it is. There it is. As y'all are, keep doing that, keep worshiping and praying. Lord, as, as we're doing this tonight, I thank you right now that to the north, south, east, and west, Lord, we're entering a new season. And I declare into this new season, the kingdom of God come right now and His will be done. There's a release of something new into the new season. I speak out that this ministry... That the key, this is like a, an apostolic, like a key turning. I speak that the key to unlock this new season right now, we agree together. That key is turning. And right now I speak that this ministry be pulled into the next season. Now, be pulled in, pulled in, pulled in to the next season. Right there it is. All right. And Father, to the north, south, east, and west, we put the blood of Jesus over the harvest. And Lord, we ask you even now to let your Holy Spirit be released. Come on, just keep worshiping and praying. It's powerful. Let your Holy Spirit be released to the north, south, east, and west. And begin to brood over the harvest. And Lord, we thank you the Holy Spirit is drawing in the harvest and moving on men and women. Moving on situations and circumstances. Even moving on provision. And we bind the enemy away from that and break his power right now. Lord, we ask you to send your angels to the north, south, east, and west that will begin to drive back the enemy's forces and help gather in the harvest. Back the enemy's forces and help gather in the harvest. Draw in the harvest, Lord. 
Let the Holy Spirit begin to draw on the harvest. Hungry. They're hungry for more. And I'm saying by the Spirit of God, they're going to be drawn to this place. They're hungry. And Lord, I'm asking you tonight that we speak out. They may not have heard of this place, but we speak out now, they're going to hear about it. And by the Spirit of God, they're going to be drawn in because it's a spirit of fire and a spirit of burning. And it's a revival DNA, a revival anointing that is drawing them in right now. I speak it forth, it's drawing them in because they're hungry and they want to be a part of what's going on. There's a drawing in. And I speak that to the West right now that there's a drawing in. I speak, come in, be drawn in by the Spirit of God. To the north and the south and the east, be drawn in. We call them in. And Lord, I thank you for the harvest of souls being saved. We break Satan's power off their minds, off their hearts right now. We break it off their eyes and ears. That your Holy Spirit even now is beginning to draw them unto Christ. Man, I feel that. Just stay with me. The Holy Spirit is drawing them right now. We bind the enemy away from it. We break his power. And we command him to be released right now. Be drawn by the Spirit of God. I speak the Holy Spirit is brooding and moving over people that need healing physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Relationship healing. They have a broken heart. They need to be healed. The Spirit of God is drawing them in to be healed. They're coming to a place where they can be healed. And I speak that those coals, like Isaiah saw that touched his lips, those coals are descending and they're touching people's lives. And they're going to sanctify areas of people's lives. Even with, it, with those within the sound of my voice. I speak the Spirit of God is going to begin right now a new work. I declare into you a new season to open up. In Jesus' name, it's opening up. Whoo, man. Just keep, keep worshiping and praying. Keep going. I know I felt that too, but just keep worshiping and praying. But I speak a new season. I break off the old season and you're pulling you into a new. And Lord, I speak to those to the north, south, east, and west that need deliverance. And I speak, come in. Be brought in. Be drawn in by the Spirit of God. Lord, that angels are going right now to pull them in to where they can receive deliverance. Just keep going, keep going. And I speak those that need a fresh anointing, they need impartation, they need to be discipled, they need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost to be brought into revival. Lord, I speak right now, the Spirit of God be drawing them in. We speak, be drawn in. will be open like never before right now in Jesus name as the Bible said angels ascending and descending revival fire falling all around glory increasing I speak that as we're moving into a new season there'll be a fresh anointing and an increase of anointing an increase of glory 
Lord, I speak that there's an intensity and an increase right now of the anointing for souls, for the fear of God, the spirit of the fear of God, the conviction of the Holy Ghost. I ask you for an increase tonight to come forth for souls. I ask you, Lord, for an increase of anointing and the gifts to be unlocked. I speak gifts of faith, healing, and the working of miracles. Y'all ready? Father, in Jesus' name, we agree that they're going to be unlocked and begin to be activated. Now, unlocked. Wow. Lord, increase. I speak that an increase when it comes to deliverance, delivering the captives, setting those free in darkness. Lord, increase the anointing, increase the fire. And Lord, revival perpetuating. Let the anointing for revival, revival fire, continue to increase and perpetuate. If y'all would, just keep worshiping and praying because it's... It's helping the atmosphere. But I speak those that are prophetic and revelatory that you're coming up to a new place of vision. I speak it into your vision. You're coming up to a new place of vision right now. The spirit of wisdom and revelation is increasing now on you to come up to a new place. Those that are doing street evangelism and outreach, I speak into your life that the power giftings and the anointing is coming up right now to a new level. In Jesus' name. Those that operate in praise and worship and prayer and intercession, harp and bowl type ministry, tabernacle type ministry, I speak an increase of anointing and fire. And there's an increase of glory coming in your life. Now it's coming up to a new place. Those that operate in discipleship. Right now I speak those that are going to be used in discipleship right now that an increase of anointing come now be released into your life. You're coming up to a new place. A new level of anointing. And Father, as we blast this shofar tonight, Lord, we declare that the new season is coming. There's a paradigm shift. We declare winds of change are blowing. Prophecies that have been spoken over our ministry is coming to pass. Blessings that have been spoken are activating and coming into fruition. We're releasing into a new season. In Jesus' mighty name, we thank you for it right now. And I felt that. Listen, we're going we're gonna to shut down the recordings. I'm going to pray for people real quick that want prayer. But listen, 
Father, I ask you for a fresh anointing for a new season tonight. I pray that something new would be released for a new season. I, I really feel more than I have ever felt. I feel like a paradigm shift, the winds have changed. There's something that is, is really shifting big time tonight. This is a major shift tonight. And you guys are going to be able to tell a difference in the days and weeks to come. And Lord, I thank you for coming to this new place. But I ask you, Lord, tonight for a fresh anointing for a new season. That it would be released in every life in Jesus' name. We thank you for it. All right, let's shut down recordings. I'm going to pray for people. And most of my catchers are out. Right, if I could get... Brother Zach, are you free? You good?